welcome to the Harbour City Podcast. We are a church in the East African port city of Durban, South Africa. Get to know us better at harbourcity.co.za or at Harbour City DBN on social media. We are currently going through the book of Galatians and we hope you enjoy this message. Good afternoon, everyone. How are you? If you don't know who I am, my name is Jamie. Uh, my wife and I have been leading Harbour City now for one and a bit months. It's very fresh. Um, but um, we're carrying on with Galatians, but maybe just before that, just to say, um, I, I really love Easter. It's a uh, for me, it's a, a really great time of the year in terms of Christian liturgy, in terms of like our calendar, the Christian calendar. Um, Easter is like the big moment. Uh, when we started Galatians, we talked about the gospel event. We talked about this gospel event of, on which everything centers. And the gospel event is the death and resurrection of, of Jesus. And when we get to Easter, it's the moment when we really reflect on that and we really celebrate um, and, and look upon the work of Christ. So uh, Easter's a great time to come to church. It's also a good time for people to go away. So I know a lot of people go away, but if you don't go away, come and join us on Easter. Find Glenda's house on Google. <laughs> Glenda, can you organize that quickly? Put yourself on Google Maps so that we can find you. Um, but come to the sunrise service, jo- join us afterwards, a real community moment as we can uh, both reflect on Jesus and just enjoy the community as we eat some pancakes and share some food together. Um, and then in the afternoon again. But uh, just to give you a quick update on the Galatians series. So next week will be, we will finish Galatians chapter three and we'll look at uh, those last kind of three verses where um, Paul talks about there is no male, no female, no Jew, nor Greek, no slave, nor free. Um, and, and we'll look at something of what God's covenant community looks like. Um, but then we're going to take a break from Galatians. Uh, we'll take a break from Galatians for just over a month and we'll come back to it uh, at the end of May. But we're gonna take a break, number one, for Easter, but then we're gonna spend a, a four-week series looking at work. So, um, yeah, I know probably get enough of work during the week, but we're gonna look at it again uh, um, for four weeks, kind of like a topical, just engaging, um, kind of looking at meaning, of work, purpose, things like that, um, as we try and gauge the scriptures and what it has to say about us and our working lives. So that's what we're gonna do. So final week of Galatians uh, next week, and and then uh, Easter, four weeks on work, and then we'll come back. So Galatians 3, verse 15 to 29, Um, quick story. Eugene and I, on Friday afternoon, we're driving through Pinetown. It's Eugene at the back there, in case you're wondering. So we're driving through Pinetown on a Friday afternoon, which is pretty chaotic in Pinetown. I'm not going to lie to you, when you're around the center of Pinetown, and we're in one of the queues uh, to turn right, going through the traffic, and we're about four cars back from the turning thing, and cars start going. So you know, all the cars start going, so you start going. And then halfway through, I'm like, across the road, I'm like, oh, it's a red robot. 
Like it's been read the whole time. Pinetown just has its own rules, you know, everyone's going. So I'm halfway through and I'm like, Eugene, I am a law abiding citizen, you know, feeling bad being the pastor. You're halfway through a a red robot. Um, Anyway, so while you're in it, you might as well just go to the end. So I duck through, apologize to Eugene. Uh, We make a joke about it and carry on with our day. But um, I thought, very interesting that we're talking about law, uh, the law, and uh, I felt like a real non-law-abiding citizen uh, this week. But we're going to look at law and the promise in this passage of of Galatians. And um, if I can just say this, this week is a little bit of heavy lifting. It's a little bit theological. It's a little bit of a, a, a difficult uh, passage uh, to preach on because it is quite a theological passage. In, in the, this moment, kind of actually from verse six onwards throughout the whole chapter, what you see is Paul, in one sense, flexing his biblical theology muscles. He's like showing uh, the, the church, he's giving the church an overview of the whole of scripture. He's giving the church an overview of how Abraham and Moses and the gospel fit together um, and, and how the law and the promise fit together, how this idea of God's law, God's promise, grace, the gospel, all fits together. And, uh, and he does that now. He's in one sense, what he's doing now is he's giving us a bit of a deep look at theology to justify what he said up until this point. As he's fought for grace, as he's fought for the gospel, as he's uh, fought that people don't dilute the gospel with legalism, he is now giving us a little bit of a, a theological kind of update. And, um, and so we're gonna look at this and we're gonna look at a little bit of the law, look at uh, the promise and then hopefully conclude from there. Um, but I guess, you know, if we're sitting here, probably, you know, we could be in different places. Number one, uh, you could just be wondering, what on earth is this guy going on about, talking about the law? Like, what does this have to do with church? Um, and, and hopefully, uh, some, this will help us just understand the book of Galatians a little bit better. Maybe you're here and you've tried to understand how this idea of uh, grace and God's law fits together, and I hope that this uh, will understand. Or maybe you're here and you just are not sure whether you believe in Christianity. Maybe you just think it's a bunch of rules uh, to be obeyed, Um, and uh, hopefully this evening will help you a little bit. But if we could start with the law, um, so I think one of the difficulties in South Africa when we talk about this idea of law is that we have a little bit of a complicated relationship as South Africans with the law. Um, I think we have a little bit of a complicated relationship with the law for three reasons. Number one, we all know people who have disobeyed the law and nothing happens to them. So South African politics is just a, a classic example of us knowing the people who have broken the law, um, or even we've seen something of the Zondo Commission come out and you're waiting to see whether anything's gonna happen. And so we have this complicated relationship with 
with the idea of law in one sense because we don't see much consequence in a very public kind of way for breaking the law. Um, and that, I think, gives us, um, in one sense, a complicated um, relationship with it. I think another reason why we have a complicated relationship with the laws, in, in the book of uh, Judges, there's this classic phrase in the book of Judges that pops up over and over again, and it says everyone uh, did what they, it says there was no king in Israel, so everyone did what they deemed right in their own eyes. There's this idea of uh, when there's no kind of like leadership, what ends up happening is we start deciding what we think is right and what we don't think is right. So I don't know if you uh, um, know anyone like this, I feel like everyone in South Africa, I know, is like this in some sense or another, where it's like, oh, you know, I'll obey those laws, but not those ones. I'll obey that kind of tax law, but not this kind of tax law. I'll obey, you know, like that kind of road traffic law, but not this kind of road traffic law. It's like, we're kind of selective. We decide, oh, you know, this is a good one, and this is not a good one, and I will be the judge of which ones I'm going to obey and not obey. And, um, and part of that is maybe because there's just no kind of judicial authority that's like really coming down on, on that. Maybe there is a lack of leadership. I'm not quite sure what that is. But I think in South Africa, we do have this complicated relationship because I think we all think that we're the best at deciding what are good laws and what are are, are bad laws, and, and then we kind of live our lives that way, deciding which ones we're gonna obey and which ones we're not. But then even more so, I think we have a complicated relationship with the law because we have a complicated history. You know, where, where if we have to look in South African history, what we see is that the parts of the law that were enforced most heavily were the parts of the law that were put in place to oppress people. Um, and so, you know, some people, generally if you've grown up in a white household, you would have quite a blasé um, um, approach to the law because the law has not really had an oppressive, negative effect on your life. Um, whereas, for the majority of South Africans, if we look at our history, majority of South Africans have a deeply complicated and painful relationship with the legal system because the law was used to oppress. The law was used to tell some people that they were second-rate citizens. The law was used to remove people's personal dignity. And so we, as South Africans, have this complicated relationship with it. Um, and what that does is I think when we read passages like this, it makes reading passages like this quite difficult. Because you go, what's the deal with the law anyway? Like, I mean, who obeys it anyway? You know, of course it's by grace, not like anyone's even trying to obey the law. So like, psh, you know, like we, we have this complicated relationship with it. And, um, and, and maybe for some people, we have uh, like a knee-jerk negative relationship when we think of the law. Maybe for some of us, we just think, well, you know, I'll obey some, I'll obey, uh, you know, not obey others. Who cares? What's the big deal? Anyway. But 
when it comes to Paul's moment and Paul's kind of framework of life and the Jewish kind of understanding of the Lord, it would have been very different to what we have as South Africans. And it would have been very different because they believed what set them apart as Jewish people was the law. That it was given to Moses. God's finger wrote the, the Ten Commandments on the stone tablets on Sinai and the law came to the Jewish people by God's finger. And so they would have this relationship with the law in that the law set them apart. The law is uh, one of their defining, distinguishing features of who they are. The law is ingrained into their culture. Um, the law would have been deeply deeply revered. Um, the law would have been deeply obeyed. It would have been something that would have been revered. It would have been something that brought their cultural identity. It would have been something that gave them dignity. It would have been something that sent them apart. It would have been something that they would have grown up knowing to obey. Uh, some Theologians say that if you were a young Jewish male, sorry, I'm not trying to be sexist here, just culturally different moments, but if you were a young Jewish male, by the age of 13, you would have memorized the law completely. You would have known it. It would have been deeply ingrained into you. Um, uh, so you, you would have known all the laws. You would have sought to obey them. Your kind of like standing in the community would have been defined by how good you were at keeping the law. But the law at the same time was also ruthless. Uh, in, in one sense, it divided people, you know, th those who obeyed and those didn't. It was ungracious. It was, uh, uh, the law was this way of executing justice and making sure that the community was living in perfect accordance to, with God's ways. Um, so the law in, in Jewish kind of idea was absolutely important and radically revered, which makes it so different from our culture. Like here in South Africa, I don't know how many people I know who know all of South African laws, uh, unless you're a lawyer, number one, who even knows all the road rules, um, you know, especially if you passed your learner's license a while ago, like probably none of us know all the rules. Um, you know, but, and also like how we are, how fastidious we are about making sure we keep all of them I like that's probably low in our culture. In their culture, it would have been extremely high. They would have been known. They would have tried to keep them. They would have, you know, it shaped their identity. Uh, it's shaped who they are. Now, what Paul says in this passage is, is Paul says, essentially, the law, as we begin to understand the gospel, the law does two things. Um, the first one, he says, is that Scripture, he's talking about the law here, has locked up everything under the control of sins so that what was promised, being given through faith in Christ Jesus, might be given to those who believe. The first thing that Paul is going to 
highlight to us is that the law is a kind of prison, um, which doesn't sound very great right now. But what essentially what Paul is trying to say is here is what the law does is the law reveals to us our sin. And as it reveals to us, we kind of get imprisoned by that, by the fact that as we know the law more, as we see that, as we look at our lives, more and more we realize that our lives are not in complete alignment with the law. If we look at all God's statutes, what actually happens over time is you realize, oh my, I am in trouble we get imprisoned in one sense. We get locked up. Uh, we get bound uh, by the law. So a, a guy called um, Ray Comfort always used to say this. He said, you know, one of the things that we do is in our culture, we all think that we're good enough in some sense. We all think, hey, you know what? I'm living a good enough life. Based on what standard, I'm not 100% sure. Maybe just looking at our neighbor and going, hey, I'm better than you, better than you. Oh, move your side because you make me feel bad. Um, you know, I'm not sure what standard, but what the law does is it brings a standard in which all of us get judged. And so maybe us look at the 10 commandments and we go, oh, you know what? I'm pretty good at all of those ones. You know, like I haven't murdered someone. So tick, doing pretty well there. Uh, hopefully that's all of us in this room. Um, but you know, like we do that and then Jesus rocks up on the scene and he, he like gives the Sermon on the Mount and in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, you know what, even if you've called your brother a fool, harbored hatred in your heart towards your brother, you've committed murder. Now, I don't know about you, but I've had moments like that, so, oh, chips, I'm in trouble. You know, I, but like we can go through each one, you know, like uh, do not lie, you know, like, okay, well, you know, I've tried not do that, but probably all of us have lied at some point. So like now we're in trouble, you know, uh, do not commit adultery, but even if you've thought lustfully in, you know, in, in your heart, like you've committed adultery and now you go, yo, like what the law does is it ruthlessly, in many ways, reveals to us our sin. And as it reveals to us our sin, we, in one sense, we get bound. We get captured. We get caught out. We, um, I, I remember reading one um, one psychologist report and they, and they were saying, you could probably release 75% of people from mental institutes if you could just convince them that, they, that their sins were forgiven, that they don't need to feel guilty. The law bounds us in one sense. Um, and that's part of its purpose, which we'll see now. And then the other purpose of the law, which it goes on to say um, in, in Galatians, as, as you carry on reading, it says the law was our guardian, or um, the, the word can mean our mentor, our tutor, our schoolmaster. The law was a schoolmaster, a tutor, a guardian, 
until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. So what the law does is it doesn't only just show us that we're bound in our sin in one sense. What it does is it begins to lead us to grace. It leads us to grace. So even in, in the Old Testament, what would happen is they would give sacrifices of atonement. They would give sacrifices for their sin. What would happen is as the, as the law reveals our sin, it begins to show our need for mercy because how are we going to get out of the state? Um, the law leads us to Christ. As we become more and more convinced of our inability to make our own way in righteousness, what happens is we become needy for mercy. We become, we need mercy. The law is like a schoolmaster, like a tutor, like a guardian that for a time, serves its purpose to reveal our need for mercy. And as it reveals our need for mercy, it draws us to Christ. The beauty of Christ's sacrifice, the beauty of Jesus' death on the cross can never be understood without the need for mercy, without the need for the forgiveness of sin. The law at its best leads us to Jesus. It leads us to grace. It's through its unwavering requirements of morality and practice that we can't live up to it, that it pushes us towards mercy. It pushes us towards crying for help. What Paul through this passage is essentially trying to tell us is that we cannot be saved by the law. We cannot be saved by our works. We cannot be saved by trying to be a good person. We cannot be saved by any kind of effort on our part. As we begin to put our lives up against God's standard, we will always, always fall short. Tim Keller says this, he says, Christianity and its message of grace is not, it does not weaken the law, it takes the law seriously. Only when we truly believe in grace do we realize how serious the law needs to be taken that we cannot receive God's favor, God's redemption, God's forgiveness of sin through our own effort. And that's where the promise comes in. Andrew Duke says this, he says, Satan would have us to prove ourselves holy by the law, which God gave to prove us sinners. Then comes the promise. Paul, uh, in this passage, has me uh, mentioned Abraham a number of times. And Abraham's a big deal. If uh, you grew up in church, maybe you sang that song, Father Abraham had many sons. Not gonna sing it. Um, but that, 
you know, Abraham's a big deal. He's regarded as the father of faith. Um, and uh, Genesis uh, 15, you know, that Abraham would says, says because he believed, he was declared righteous, is, is one of Paul's central tenets of understanding the gospel, is that God chose his people through a promise, not through the law. About uh, 20 years ago, uh, maybe about 17 years ago, um, I was sitting in a church service and this guy from Cape Town uh, came to preach at the church I was part of and he opened up his sermon, sermon like this. He said, if I could choose one book of the Bible, uh, if I could choose one book uh, on, on a desert island, it would be the Bible. And if I could only choose one book in the Bible, it would be Genesis. And if I could only choose one chapter in one book of the Bible, it would be Genesis 15. And if I could only choose one passage of the Bible, it would be the last passage in Genesis 15. And he says the reason why is because in Genesis 15, we see this, that God is a covenant-keeping God. That what transpires in Genesis 15 is God makes a covenant with Abraham. This is what Paul is talking about in this passage. He's talking about the promise that comes to Abraham and the covenant that comes to Abraham. And uh, if, it, you know, I'm not going to read the whole passage, but essentially what happens in that passage is that, uh, you know, Abraham's starting to waver a little bit about whether he's going to have kids. God reassures him hey, I gave you the promise, it's gonna happen. And, and then what happens is he asks Abraham to, prefer, uh, to prepare some sacrifices. They cut the animals in half. They lay them in their halves on, on the side. Um, and Abraham knows what's gonna happen. You know, there is a covenant that's gonna be made. And what happens in a covenant is someone will walk through the, the halves of, of the animals. And as they walk through the halves of the animals, when they make a covenant, they essentially say this to the other person. They say, may it be to me as these animals if I do not fulfill my promise to you. That is what it is when they're making the covenant. So what would normally happen is the conquering king would come and conquer uh, a kingdom and the defeated king would have to pledge their allegiance to the king by walking through the, the, the animals declaring, if I don't do this, may my life be as these animals. The, con the conquering king would never be the one that would walk through. They would never be the one who walked through. I mean, seriously, think about it. They just conquered these guys. They're like, I'm not gonna do that. You know, you do that to pledge your allegiance to me. I can imagine what's happening here is this is going on. Abraham's, uh, God is leading Abraham to this moment. I can imagine what's going on. Abraham's thinking, I'm gonna have to do something for God. Like, that's what's gonna happen. What the story tells us is God puts Abraham to sleep. It's like, you're not even gonna be involved in this process. This is all me. This is all me. And when you sleep, I'm gonna walk through, and here's the vision, walk through these, and I am declaring to you that be it to me 
bear to God that I would be as these animals if I do not fulfill my promise to you. God, as the superior one, the creator, the king of kings, the God of all creation, is the one, in one sense, that humbles himself to the point of declaring a covenant with Abraham. He is the one who says, I will, I will, I will, I will fulfill my promise. What Paul is saying here is he's saying what makes God's people God's people was not the law. It was this promise. And it did not come by Abraham doing anything. It came by God's word, by God promising, by God saying, I will do this. What do I need to do? Go to sleep. Done. You know, but I, done, you know, asleep, out. You're gonna have no process in this. You know what we see as you go through the, the scriptures is you see Israel's life with God is a bit like this. We're doing amazing, we're doing bad. We're doing amazing, we're doing bad. We're doing amazing, we're doing bad. Great king, woohoo, terrible king, evil. You know, like Israel's trajectory as you go through the whole of the Old Testament is not a group of people that are any good at keeping God's commands. But what you see is God fulfilling His promise. He has made a covenant. What you see as you hear the prophets declare over and over again from the major to the minor prophets, they do not declare, oh, God's law, because you have kept this law, we will do that. What they declare is because God has promised, He has made a covenant, because God has said, He will bring His purposes to pass. Paul In this passage, Paul in Galatians 3 is highlighting that the gospel is the fulfillment of God's promise. What does he say? The promise to Abraham was that his seed, not seeds, not many, his seed, through Abraham's seed would the blessing of God, would the kingdom of God come to the world. And Paul says, That seed is Jesus. That in Jesus, we have God's promise fulfilled so that those who would believe in him would inherit, would receive the promises of God. What Paul says at another point is he says this, for for in Christ, all God's promises are yes and amen. Paul is telling us, he's saying, in Christ we see the fulfillment of all of God's redemptive plan. And it does not come through works. It comes through grace. I like what uh, Tim Keller says this. He says, you know, it's complicated to try and understand what faith is like sometimes. Um, But, you know, he says, faith is a bit like this. 
Imagine the ground falls out beneath your feet and there is a branch of a tree hanging over and you just grab that branch and hold on. All this what has happened is the branch is the thing that has saved you. All this what you've done on is hold on to it. Faith is this. Christ is doing all the work. We just believe. Hold on uh, in one sense. John Stott says, what is the difference between the promise and the law? In the promise to Abraham, God said, I will, I will, I will. But in the law of Moses, God said, thou shalt, thou shalt not. The promise sets forth the religion of God, God's plan, God's grace, God's initiative. But the law sets forth a religion of man, man's duty, man's work, man's responsibility. In Christ, we have God's grace coming to those who believe. God's promise being fulfilled. Paul is reminding us, we are saved by grace. We're saved by grace. We enter the covenant community by grace. We become sons and daughters of God by Grace, we receive God's favor, we receive God's forgiveness, we receive God's life by grace. The kingdom comes to us not because of what we do, it become, comes to us because of what Christ has done. Paul goes on to say, does this mean that the law is evil? Like, it kind of can sound like that. And he's not saying that. Paul says, no, it's not. You know, in the law, we see something of God's character uh, revealed. God is the one who gives the law. So we see something of his character. We see something of his holiness uh, put in in active form, we see something of God's ways shown to us uh, when we read the law. And so, you know, one of the, the ways we understand the gospel is we understand the gospel a bit like this, that the gospel is Jesus died for our sin and rose again. We believe in him and are saved. And because we are saved, we begin to live a life pleasing to God. It changes us, it transforms us, it makes us new. What legalists will say is Jesus Christ died for our sins and we also must do all these right things to be saved. Or the only way we can truly know if we're saved is if we do all the right things. But that is not what the gospel is. The gospel is Jesus and our faith. And then we're saved and then we do stuff. We live it out. We live out this new creation life by the Spirit of God. Not Jesus plus coming to church, plus reading the Bible seven days a week, plus following a Bible in a year plan, plus being good to our neighbor, plus, and the list can go on, and then we are saved. The gospel 
is Jesus plus nothing. It comes to us by a promise. It comes to us by a promise. Let me just say this in, in closing is, I think, you know, myself, Eugene and Tabani, we were sitting and chatting this week about this passage and some of the things, and we're like, why do we so easily revert to like a kind of legalistic tendency? Um, and I think in one sense we do that because it's quite easy to measure how you're doing, you know? Am I a good person? Oh yeah, I'm doing this, doing that, doing that. It's like, it's quite an easy method to measure how you're doing. Um, but the problem with that way of measuring ourselves is it's also brutal when we're not doing well. So we go like this, hey, I'm amazing. I'm such a great person. Look at all these things I'm doing. And the next day, I am the worst person in the world. I don't know if you've ever, your faith has been like that. That's what happens is the law has its appeal because it's an easy way to measure ourselves. But what's incredible about the promise is that the promise is secure. The promise is unwavering. The promise is not dependent on our highs and lows. The promise is not dependent on us at all. I like to think of that Abraham story. Abraham gets put to sleep. God makes the promise. It's all dependent on himself. And uh, I like to think about my faith like that sometimes. It's like, God, like maybe I need to be put to sleep, like just reminded I have like my part, I'm, it's all you, it's all you, it's all you, it's all you. I am saved not because of me or anything I've done. I'm saved purely by the grace of Jesus. Can we pray?